God's glory. So, if you haven't noticed, we are still in John chapter 8. Whew. What's really funny is we actually started John chapter 8 in October. Then we took a break for Advent. Then we talked about spiritual beings. And now I promise you we are wrapping up John chapter 8 so we can go to John chapter 9 next week. Uh, we've, we've been journeying through John very slowly and taking opportunities to talk about some theological items that come up along the way. Well, today what we're going to do is we're going to really dive into who is Abraham, what is going on, and what is this weird, strange argument between we are Abraham's offspring, you're not, why does that matter, and this strange argument that is going on. And for you note takers out there, we're going to be looking a lot at different passages and we will be touching on them, but we may not be able to go through fully like you would like to. So I got a list of passages for you to write down if you are a note taker. That way you can look at them later. Or maybe you want to look at them more and you can go online, look at the live stream and clip this out. So I just want to give you the opportunity to be able to write some of them down. We may not fully touch them to the way you, you would want. But we're going to be in all those. So we're going to be covering a lot of Bible today, which is going to be a lot of fun. A big part of this argument that is going on, we need to understand, is the covenants of the Old Testament. And covenants are not a word that we use much today. Probably the most accurate, most common covenant that we have is marriage. And thankfully, my wife is in childcare, so I can show you this picture. And she won't be embarrassed. And... and we were young, we were 19 and 20, my wife somehow has gotten more beautiful, and I became more of a man and a little bit bigger than I was back then. But at least I can grow a beard now. <laughs> but this was our wedding day, we were young, we were 19 and 20, and I actually had to ask my wife, because I was thinking about the vows and stuff, and covenant, and, and marriage, and I was like, so honey, um, do you remember our vows? Because I'll be honest, I didn't. And she goes... Not the details, we kind of use the generic words. I'm like, okay, good, because I don't remember them. I don't remember all the details that happened that day. It was a blur. It was a lot of craziness. Um, but part of marriage is you exchange vows. And sometimes they're fun. Like, you, you see these different ones where I vow to not finish or move on to the next episode of a next Netflix series we're watching, or at least I'm going to pretend like I'm seeing it for the first time with you. Well, as a dude, I promise to always put the seat down for you. Except for the times I forget and you sit down in the middle of the night and fall in. We, we exchange vows, but a lot of the vows of marriage kind of end up boiling down to this. I vow to love you and to cherish you, to be one with you for the rest of my life until death do us part. And in exchange, the other person does that too. I vow to love and to cherish and to be with you until death do us part. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance with weddings. There's people out there. There's a pastor up here. You exchange the vows, exchange rings, all these signs and things. But if you boil it down to it, it's two people saying, I'm committed to do these things with you for the rest of my life. Now, in the marriage covenant, we understand that like when my wife and I get married, so beautiful then and beautiful today, I vowed on who I am. And I'm a flawed human being. I, make, I made promises that, I'll be honest, I've failed and had to walk through because that happens in our marriages. And sometimes marriages fail because we are coveting based off of who we are. 
So in that way, sometimes the marriage covenant, it represents and reminds us what covenants are, but we, we are in a broken world, and that's when, when marriages fail. Like, that's why this heartache and it's painful, but that's part of our fallen world that we're, we're covenating based on of who we are. Now, the Old Testament covenants are a little bit different. There's multiple ones of them um, that we're going to kind of gloss over. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all of them in detail because, you know, there's some hockey game or baseball game or something going on today I think we want to get to. <laughs> go Chiefs! Um, but these covenants are a little different than a marriage covenant because these are a king and a vassal type of covenant. And what do I mean by that? You have somebody who has authority over somebody who doesn't have authority. Somebody who has power and somebody who doesn't. So if you think of like a king and the people around, the king is going to go, I'm going to make a covenant with you that you're going to be able to have this land. You're going to give me some of the food for your land and I'm going to protect you. That's where a lot of these covenants, this, this structure comes from. And so we have God being the king, being the authority, being the power, and all the chips are really on his hands. And you have the vassal, the other person that God makes a covenant with. So you have the Edemic covenant, which is Adam and Eve. We know that, the garden story. Be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, but don't eat of the knowledge of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They failed that. And then he... he institutes this covenant of I'm gonna what we call grace well I'm not gonna kill you immediately like I said I would do I'm gonna postpone that and I'm gonna give you offspring and your offspring the serpent's gonna bite the hill and the the offspring's gonna crush its head. Then we have the Noahic covenant where the flood comes and for forty days and forty nights it rains and everything is flooded all over the place it all drains, and God promises Noah, I'm not going to flood the earth again. I'm going to give you the rainbow as a sign of the covenant, and I'm going to establish the seasons for the rest of the time on earth. He's going to hold that together. Interesting thing about the Noahic, if you look at that in baptism, there's a lot of correlations there. Then you have the Abrahamic. We're going to dive into this one here in a minute, but the Abrahamic, God calls Abram, then calls him Abraham, out of Ur, and promises him to have land and descendants and offsprings and kings and nations, that he's going to bless the whole world through Abraham. And he makes this covenant with Abraham. We have the Mosaic, the giving of the law. Here's the law that you're supposed to live by. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. Do these things or there will be consequences. The Davidic covenant where God promises David he would have an everlasting throne, a king forever on the throne through the descendants of David. And then we get the new covenant. That is Jesus himself, sealed by his blood. And we take communion. We remember the new covenant. And I want to point out, I know we're going through these quick, that each one of these covenants builds on the prior one. God is revealing his character, revealing who he is, revealing his promise through them. And each and every one of these points to Jesus Christ and fulfilled and completed by him. Okay, Sunday school lesson over. We're going to dive a little bit more into Abraham. And so we're going to be in Genesis, really folks, in Genesis chapter 15. Now, God has called Abram out of Ur and the Chaldeans. Now, you've got to understand that Abram, now we know him as Abraham, was not following God at this time. 
He was worshiping other gods like everyone else. More than likely, it was more like a moon god or something like that. He was with the Chaldeans. And God comes to him and says, Come, I'm going to show you a land that you don't know, that you've never seen, and I'm going to take, take you there and give it to you as an inheritance. I'm going to bless the world through you. And Abraham follows and believes and is credited as righteousness. And with that, we pick up in chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Think about that, the king vassal. I'm going to be your protector, much like a king, king would with the subjects around. He's going to protect them. That's what he's saying. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to be the one that's going to protect and keep you safe. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliza of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. I have no kids. You said I'm, you're going to make many nations, many kings from me, and I, I'm, my wife is childless. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look towards heaven and number the stars. How many of you have ever camped and looked at the stars and tried to count them? A little, little hard, right? Maybe a little bit higher than I can count. I mean, I can count to 10 on my hand. Takes a little bit. So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God tells Abram this. His, he has no kids. His wife's past childbearing. They're old. God says this, and it says he believes and is credited as righteousness. That's important. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How do I know you're going to follow through? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a total dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these and cut them in half and laid them each over against the other. They not cut the boards in half, and the boards of prey came down to carcasses, and Abram drove them away. This is weird. So what's going on is God told Abram to get these animals, cut them in half, make a line of half of them over here, and a line of half of them over here. And this is common in the, the ancient Near Eastern covenant making. They would do this with the animals, and both parties would walk through this. Put the wedding photo back up if you wouldn't mind. Marriage. It's interesting that in marriage covenant, we walk through an aisle of witnesses. I want to make a little distinction here. When we get married, we walk through the aisle of witnesses. It's not that we're saying, oh, if I fail this, I'm going to be like all them. The testimony that we are seeing this and we're vouching for that. So I want to make that distinction that a marriage covenant is going to be like, oh, I'm like all those other guys out there if I fail this. We can go back to the passage. But what it's saying is, if I walk through these animals in the middle, ancient Near Eastern covenants, is that so shall I be like this, ripped apart. That is the gravity of the covenants that's being made. And so God tells Abram, we're going to establish this covenant, do this, split these animals apart, and make this aisle for us to walk down. And as the sun was going down in verse 12, 
a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. We know this is the Exodus story. They were in Egypt. They were enslaved. And when they left and they were driven out, they were given wealth, gold, silver, animals. Like, they were driven out with great possessions. So we see this fulfillment in Exodus. Verse 15, As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, I want to point something out. Nathan pointed out the burning bush, the flames, fire, not consumed. Here we have a furnace and smoke. In the Exodus, you have a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. When we think of the Old Testament and we hear fire and smoke, what should be the first thing that comes to our mind? God's presence. His glory. Uh, one way to say it is His Shekinah glory. When the temple was made, when the tabernacle was made, God filled it with His glory. Fire and smoke is the manifestations of God's glory and presence on earth. So what's happening here is they divided the animals in half. Abram did in obedience. God put him to sleep. And while he's sleeping, God comes down. His Shekinah glory passes through the ripped apart animals. And what is God saying is, you know this is going to happen because I am vouching on who I am, my glory, my unchangeable ways, my essence, everything that I am, that if I fail this, God, not on anything that you do, so shall I be ripped apart like these animals. Yes. And so Abraham, Abram knew that he could trust God because God's vouching on himself and himself alone to do these things. And Abram is out on the side witnessing it. And when the sun had gone down, the flaming fire of pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, and they're going to conquer all the people. And in Genesis 17, he clarifies the covenant a little bit more. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations and kings. And make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into... And shall come, kings shall come from you. Now establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you. Throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you. And to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring land of your sojourners. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. All right, John chapter 8. It is with this covenantal understanding, this relationship between God, Abraham, that we are picking up, and we have this whole crux of this argument going on of we are the offspring of Abraham, and Jesus picks up and starts challenging them on that notion. Starting in verse 39 of chapter 8. They answered him, Abraham is our father. This is right after arguing about being the offspring of Abraham. 
And Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, We are not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. So Jesus says, If you are Abraham's offspring, you would do what Abraham did. Now what did Abraham do? What was the big thing that was credited to his righteousness? He sacrificed Isaac. He was willing to offer it up. And before he even did that, what was the main thing was he believed. And the belief caused actions of obedience. God said, I'm going to draw you out of Ur. I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham believed him. God said he was going to give Abraham offspring and Isaac was the promised offspring, and then God told him to sacrifice him, and he believed that maybe somehow God would raise him from the dead or something, so he did that in obedience. The works of Abraham is simply this, is to believe, and that belief leads to obedience. And so Jesus is saying, if you were like Abraham, if you're really his offspring, you would believe. Believe what I'm saying, believe what God's speaking through me, believe the works of God. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 kind of dives into this a little bit deeper and kind of explains a little bit more what Jesus' argument is here about the offspring of Abraham and not offspring. So Romans chapter 9, verse, starting in verse 6. But, is not, but, it, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel but not all children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year, I will return, and Sarah will have a son. Abraham had many children. But it's through Isaac that the promise would be revealed. It's through Isaac the promise would happen. We know Ishmael is one of Abraham's other sons. And through Ishmael, we have the Muslim faith, where people are like, we're descended from Ishmael, and they claim that side of it. And they're a part of God's promise, of the offspring promise, because they're not believing in who God is. In Galatians 3.16 Paul elaborates a little, little more. Now the promises were made to Abraham, to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. The offspring promise points us directly to Jesus Christ. And a little side note on that. The offspring here, the word used is seed. The seed of Abraham. And it's a singular word. The same word is used with Adam and Eve. Your seed will be the snake crusher. Now, seed can be a corporate singular noun. What do I mean by that? When we talk about the church, we talk about all the churches of God together, right? Many churches make up for that, but we talk about one church. That's a corporate singular noun. We can also use that with man, the fall of man, the glory of man. Man has issues. We can talk about many people, but as one noun. But here in Galatians, we see the seed is actually referring to a singular one, a singular person, that is Jesus Christ. And that's what he's clarifying in Galatians. In Galatians 23, verse 
chapter 3, verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, Mosaic covenant, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're all Christ, then you're Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. So what we see here is Jesus is saying, not every descendant of Abraham is of the promise, but is those that believe, that do, does what Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? He believed God, it was credited to righteousness, and he obeyed. Now I want to be very careful here, because there's people that have taken these passages and totally jacked up theology and their understanding of the church today and Israel today. We are no way saying that the church is replacing Israel. But what we're saying is we are grafted into the promises of God. A continuation of the covenant. Because if you throw up the covenant slides again, all those covenants are all building upon one another and all pointing to Jesus Christ. The everlasting king. The everlasting promise who all nations will be blessed. They all point to the new covenant that is sealed by the blood of Jesus on the death of the cross. So we are a continuation, and Israel's history becomes our history. Israel's past becomes our past. The promises God made to Israel, he promises to us. We are grafted in as a part of that and a continuation of that. And Paul himself elaborates this in Romans 9, and we see his heartfelt plea that Paul has for the, his Israelites, his brethren, his brothers that are looking at Jesus and saying, no, we don't believe you, we don't trust in you. And he says this, Romans 9, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promise. To them belong the patriarchs from the race, according to the flesh, it is Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. And it was that context that he talks about how not all are children of Abraham. His heart goes for those that are rejecting God. And so when we think of Israel, like Nathan has put together this great document. We're going to be having it up on the church soon and print out copies. And it kind of helps us understand this, this, this craziness that's going on today. But a heart should go out to Israel and we should be praying for the protection, praying for the peace, praying that God would reveal who he is to them, that they would renew that covenant back. Because I want to also share this, and this, this is part of my heart of prayer for Israel, is that we pray for the peace and protection, but we also pray that they encounter Jesus in the gospel because they still need Jesus. They are Israel, and God has a special place for them. He has the land, and he's fulfilling that promise through all the descendants, whether they believe in him or not. He's still holding that together. That's why they're there. But they also need Jesus Christ and believe in him. 
So we pray for Israel and the Jews and those in Israel to respond. But I want to challenge you with this, is Hamas and the Arabs and those that have rejected God altogether, we need to pray that they encounter the gospel as well, just as much as our neighbors and our friends in Israel. Hamas needs Jesus. Palestinians, they need Jesus. They are seeds of Abraham. They came from Abraham. They were descendants of Abraham, but they rejected God and they need to turn to him. And part of our prayer needs to be for them as well. And I know that can upset some people to think about that, but we need to pray for the enemies of God just as much as God's people. So John chapter 8 continues. Now that we understand who Abraham is and offspring, the offspring of promise that Jesus is making, the separation, that is, it's hard for them to hear and it's painful because it's kind of taking the whole paradigm what they understand and twist, turning it, revealing more who God is. And Jesus said to him, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God. I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you don't bear to hear my word. Your father, the devil, you do, all you do is your father's desire. No one jump down to verse 46. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you're not of God. Part of the covenantal promise was that God would be their God and they would be God's people. So they're thinking Abraham's descendants, we are part of God's people. Jesus saying, if you were of God, you would listen to me and you would believe. Verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus, are we not right in saying that you're a lunatic? You're a liar. You're deceived. You're possessed. Something is wrong with you. None of this can be true. That's what they're, they're saying here. Are we not right that you are cast out a demon? There's something wrong. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. You... Yet I do not seek my own glory. Anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews answered to him, Now we know that you have a demon. We know you're corrupt. We know you're possessed. There's something wrong with you. We know it. Because Abraham died. The prophets died. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Are you greater than the prophets who died? Are you greater than the patriarch who set all this in motion that God called out of Ur, that God revealed himself to, that Israel came out of, our faith came out of, that we understood God through all those promises? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets who declared, thus says the Lord, that stood up against corruption, that stood up against the fallen, who they sacrificed themselves at times to hold to God and to his promises and what God says? Are you greater than them? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, if I boast about myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. The God that you claim to be your God, He is the one that glorifies me. But you have not known Him, and I know Him. If I were to say I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. Ouch. But I do know him and I keep his word. 
Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and yet you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I want you to understand what Jesus is doing here. This is such a powerful statement. Before Abraham was means he has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Abraham existed on the timeline of life. There was a timeline, and he was in this portion of it, and the timeline's like this. Abraham was, he's finite. There's a time period. And when Jesus says, I am, he is saying the ego I me, that I don't have a time frame. I am eternal, the eternal being, everything, no beginning, no middle, no end. I am all of it. And that is the same thing that Nathan shared about Exodus 3, 14, when we see the great I am statement. Moses goes, who, do you, who should I say is sending me? I am who I am. If you want to put that up there. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God reveals his name as I am, the eternal, the infinite. And Jesus is saying, Abraham, you asked if I was greater than Abraham. Abraham had a finite time. I don't. I am the eternal. I am the everlasting. I am God is what he is claiming here. You know, the beginning of John, the beginning was the world. The world was with God. The world was God. The world became flesh. That is Jesus. And now Jesus himself is saying, I am God. And for this, the response was they picked up stones and they were ready to kill him right then and there. That is like we're in, we're in church today. They were in the tabernacle. It's like if I picked up a stone and said, I'm going to kill you because you just said something so blasphemous to God. Because there's only two options here. Either Jesus is speaking the truth and he is God. He is the prophet of God. He is the son of man. And anyone that believes and follows him and trusts in him and does what he says will never taste death. Either that's true or he's a false prophet and he is saying the most blasphemous things against God, and he's deserving death. So much so that the Jews there were willing to stone him in public, in the temple, no matter what Rome would do to them afterwards. Like, this would have been a huge scene, and they would have caused a lot of political problems for them. And it's so easy to vilify them. But if Jesus is lying here, if he has a demon, they would be in full right to the Deuteronomic law, the law in Deuteronomy, to kill him right then and there. And so they had a choice. Do we believe him or we, do we not? And we've got to remember that in the temple here, there was a lot of different people. Not everyone was agreeing with the questions. Not everyone was agreeing with what Jesus said. Some believed and Jesus spoke directly to them. Some didn't believe. Some was on the fence. Some was ready to kill him on the spot. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with Abraham and the covenant? What does that mean for you and for me? Well, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you put your faith and trust in him, then you're going to do what Abraham did, which is believe the words and do them and take action. We got the F conference coming up for the ladies, February 23rd and 24th. And the big question of that is, if Jesus is real, then what? And the then what is our lives should be different, should be transformed. We should act different. We should speak different. We should live different. We should be living according to what God's called us to do. And as believers, we should also take comfort in knowing that we are grafted into the promise of Abraham, of the Mosaic law, of Adam and Eve, of 
King David, all these things. We are part of that story. And we can take comfort in knowing that when God spoke to Abraham and saying, my glory is going to pass through this. And on my unchangeable character, on my unchangeable ways, everything about me, I'm going to fulfill this. Your descendants are going to be enslaved for 400 years. They're going to come out with a great possession. They're going to come here. We see through the whole Old Testament from Adam and Eve all the way to Jesus, the lineage is tracked. And it all points to the new covenant. And if God is going to fulfill his promises throughout the entire Old Testament over thousands of years, written by a ton of different authors, ton of different books, and we see God's promises come true, we can trust that his promises will come true today. That he is our provider and our protector. And we're to do what Abraham did is to believe and to follow. Now, some of you might be on the fence. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about who Jesus is and all these things. And you want to know more about who Jesus is and to believe in him and to trust in him. And I would love to speak with you to that today. We're going to be having also the prayer team on the sides here shortly where you can talk with them and pray with them and talk to them about who God is. Maybe you're on the Jews that picked up the stone side. And you're going, I, I, I don't believe this Jesus character. I think he might be a liar and a lunatic. But you're here for a reason. You're hearing this message for a reason. And so if that's you and you really don't believe in this Jesus, but you want to know more, you want to talk about that, I would love to pray with you and talk about you through that. To know this, that we are part of the continuation of the covenants of the Old Testament. God has revealed this throughout all the time, and we should respond like Abraham did as the worship team comes forward. And our response is this, to believe in Jesus, that he paid the price for our sins. He died on the cross for you and for me. And if we believe that, we'll do what Jesus tells us. If you love me, you obey my commands as we dive into his word, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, and God says move, God says go, God says do, our response is yes, because we believe in him, and that's our natural response. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have grafted us into your promises. We, we praise you that we have your word that reveals to us your character, your immutable ways, your grace, your mercy, your compassion. And if any of us here are struggling with that today, pray you give them the courage to speak to someone that we may have the words of wisdom to share who you are with them. And may we take comfort, rather, the, the struggles of loss, the struggles of near loss, the, the questions of medical issues or family issues or relational issues, whatever we're struggling with today, that we believe and trust in you, that you have a hand there, that you are doing something and you're going to continue to work that we can trust you no matter what goes on around us because you promised to see this through.